Welcome back to Nutrition Navigators podcast, bringing nutrition and wellness to you. Together, we learn from a variety of health professionals and campus partners about their stories and how they contribute to the world that is wellness. Welcome to our food and culture series. We're moving along throughout the series and hosting different individuals across campus that have ties to different cultures to learn and celebrate. Culture is for everybody, and it's about the celebration of that culture, even if it's not your own. Exploring different cultures through food is so fun because the story of food is the story of who we are. My name is Ashley Monroe, and I'm one of the counselors at Campus Health and advisor for this program. On today's episode, we have Mr. Joshua Hamilton, the Director of African American Student Affairs here on campus. Mr. Hamilton, who said we could call him Joshua, is talking about his experiences with food growing up in the South, specifically Texas, and how that has shaped his family table and the ways that Southern food can really bring people together. We talk about community and Joshua even shares some kitchen tips that have been passed down in his family. This is a wonderful conversation about food and how it really is a labor of love. Now let's welcome Joshua to our show. All right, thank you so much for being here today, Mr. Hamilton. Joshua, hi there. Can you tell our listeners who you are and what it is you do here on campus? Hello everyone, my name is Joshua Hamilton and I uh, currently work as Director of African-American Student Affairs. I've been at the University of Arizona for about four and a half years um, and I've worked in multiple areas on campus, but this is what I currently do, supporting African-American Student Affairs. Um, uh, what is a, what is like a typical day for you? I guess I, I'm just curious. <laughs> what is a typical day for me? <laughs> um, I think meetings on top of meetings, of course, um, and being in a director role, it's meetings, the meetings happen, which we all are aware of, but it's all the things that happen in between the meetings. Yeah. Like people like, I have this idea. Can we talk real quick? Like I have, you know, and so yeah. I think my meeting, my days look like always being accessible to folks mm -hmm. so very little downtime yeah there's always something going on people you know people always want to talk people always want to be in community so my days look very I won't use the word busy they are very they're filled with just the ongoings of everything every day is different too no day is the same that's kind of fun it keeps you on your toes yeah absolutely and also it doesn't allow me to hide like I would like to <laughs> trying to hide in my office people are like no come out I know we're gonna you. find you <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah uh, well we're kicking off the food and culture series here for the podcast and I'm so excited uh, that Joshua could be on with us today to tell us a little bit about his experience around food and culture and what that means for for him so uh yeah can you tell our students about we're going to kind of focus on Southern food because you let me know that that was an area that, you know, spoke to you or that resonated with you the most given your background. So can you tell us about any of the history of Southern food or I guess like what does Southern food mean to you? Yeah, absolutely. So just to give a little background on myself, I am from Texas, okay. born in uh, College Station, Texas. So everybody around is where Texas A&M is, but we live down in the country of the area. And so I was born and raised in Texas, grew up in, in Dallas. And so, I mean, Southern, we are Southern cuisine and I mean, Southern food in that sense. Um, and historically, uh, we're talking about Southern food that has been, you know, things that have been passed down in traditions from those enslaved Africans and my ancestors 
who were forced to make food on plantations, but you know, and eat the scraps or leftovers from food that they didn't receive. But this isn't really a story on, or I guess this isn't really a comment on just this idea that like, you know, receive scraps, but more of what they were able to make in the creations they were able to create forged, like forged cultivation. Mm-hmm. Um, from these from these different cuisines, and so in, in one in one thing I want to kind of draw on specifically is barbecue, yeah, um, and, and southern barbecue um, and kind of the history of that, and so that is you know one, not, I guess not a dish but like a tradition that's been passed down from my father to my grandfather to oh, his cool. grandfather, right? That how we cooked in you know in historical times, and this is all anecdotal, right, y'all? And like, and I've done some reading, you know, I want to also. Um, just add the book, you know, uh, High on the Hog from yeah. Dr. Harris, which is a great text. And then also highlighting Black Food Matters um, from Dr. Asante, Dr. Asante Reese and okay. Hannah Garth. Um, two individuals had a book come out recently about Black Food Matters and racial justice. And one of the things they discuss is like the history of barbecuing. So historically, barbecuing can be tied back to the indigenous nation. So native, native and indigenous folks barbecuing first and barbecues happen on open fires mm-hmm. um so when this tradi- when it was passed well, not passed on but i mean essentially taken from this idea then plant- plantation owners and slave owners also wanted barbecue so they taught you know they went and they had their enslaved people enslaved africans taught, learned how to make barbecue we're talking like 19th 20th century mm-hmm. barbecue and so that was something that Black folks did, or Black enslaved people did back in the day. But it wasn't just like, like to, the way that it was also illustrated is like, was to be barbecuing, was like, to be the person barbecuing was like an important thing yeah. to that person, right? You know, person to that um, enslaved person, like to a Black person, it was very important for a barbecue because then it was also an opportunity to feed their families something outside of just leftover scraps of meals and different stews, right? This opportunity to have barbecues are celebrated in that moment. And it was just something that has been passed down, right, from generation to generation. So I learned how to barbecue as a child. And there's a difference. We have to talk about this too. Yes, I was gonna. (laughs) I don't want to keep talking either. I'm sorry. I don't know. No, no. Yes, please tell us. (laughs) There is a difference. So people will say, you know, I'm barbecuing, but you have a propane grill and you're cooking on open direct heat and you're making a hamburger. That's not barbecue. True. That's not that's is not that what grill, is that like grilling? You're yes, grilling. That is grilling. Okay. That's grilling. That's not the same thing. So people will say, you know, oh, barbecue. No, that's not that's not barbecue. That's barbecuing barbecue. is a process. Okay. You no, know, it's not something you just throw on the open fire. It's it's the it's the the process of actually like smoking and cooking mm-hmm. meat. And so, you know, what I have like three barbecue pits in my house. <laughs> like I have a barbecue pit, I have that's like a amazing. grill. And so I'm gonna tell a short story. So actually I had got this like fancy grill, right? Like this little pellet grill, like with fire. And I remember my father came to visit and I was like throwing some meat on there. I was like, ah, you know, I got this fancy grill. I got seasoning. And he was like, what, you know, what are you doing? (laughs) He was like, you know, he's like, one, you got, you know, if we're going to barbecue, because I've used to barbecue with charcoal and, you know, being able to put wood and stuff in the pit. He's like, you know, we always cook low and slow. And that's how I was taught to barbecue. Right. You're always, I'm always cooking between 200, 225, 250 degrees. And it's a long and slow process. The meat is seasoned beforehand or brined sometime for 24 hours. 
And like I make, you know, I only smoke my ribs for four or five hours. It is a low, slow process. It's nothing. And I know I keep repeating that, but that is like one thing that I was taught. Yeah. Don't rush it because that's not how barbecue is made. It's a labor of love. It is the labor of love. And it mm-hmm. is a communal, it's a communal um piece. And that's why we celebrate it. Like I don't, you know, I don't when I have barbecue, it's almost like um like therapeutic. Yeah. Especially cooking for others. Yep. So and they're around, right? I feel like usually isn't that a part of it too when you say community or communal? It's you know, it takes so long to cook something and it's this labor of love and it's this it's the finale, but there's things happening, right, in the families and in the community while it's cooking, correct? Absolutely, right? You know, it's why we call it a cookout. And that's why, yeah. you know, people, that's why it's such a specific thing to Black people. Mm-hmm. Like, a cookout is specific to Black people because this is how we've been, like, we grow up, like, like how we've, like, how we've been raised. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, and also tomorrow is Juneteenth. Right. And that is, you know, it's a very important holiday. And I'm from Texas. Yeah. I actually didn't know that people celebrated Juneteenth outside of Texas until I left. Because right. I always saw Juneteenth as a Black, mm-hmm. Black, um, Black freedom tradition. Mm-hmm. Juneteenth. We had Juneteenth parades, Juneteenth pageants. And of course, we had Juneteenth barbecues. Yeah. You know? So you may show up to the barbecue at 10. You're not going to eat till 6 p.m. That's so you're just... not You're not mad about it, though. It's, no, it's no, an no, event. No. <laughs> yeah, you can be upset, but it doesn't matter because you know when it's 6 p.m. hits what you're going to get. And so, um, yeah, it is a bit, it's a communal thing, right, to be able to feed your whole family something yeah. that you have made and labored on. And I also don't want to just, you know, and even like gender and barbecue, it wasn't just this idea that, mm-hmm. you know, Black men or, you know, enslaved African men, like also like the women played a role mm-hmm. in kitchen and helping for preparation and preparing, mm-hmm. and preparing for barbecue and preparing for cook. So this is a, it's a it's literally a communal piece. And the other thing to that too is like there's really no like recipes around it. Yeah. You have to be there. Right. Like I didn't learn how to barbecue by my father just telling me over the phone. Like right. I had to watch. I had to chop wood. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to touch certain cuts of meat because that's the meat that he was cooking. Like I had to cook other things. <laughs> like it's it, like it, the whole everything about it was just this like, you know, you said earlier, like this labor of love. Yeah. And not just actually cooking the food, but being a part of making and prepping and preparing yeah. the grill and everything. That's where the magic happens. Did you, uh, what was the first thing you learned how to barbecue? Do you remember? Chicken. Chicken? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first thing I learned how to barbecue is chicken. And the first time I did it, I know I didn't do it well. <laughs> because I made a mistake. I made a mistake. And I remember watching my father do it. And I was like, you know what? I put barbecue sauce on too early. Mm. Everybody has different processes. Like people create what they call mops. Mm-hmm. But a mop, is, it's, it's like best way to, best way to explain a mop or heart. It's the sauces, seasonings all put together. And people would use actual mops mm-hmm. to season the whole hog or to season the whole cut of meat. Mm-hmm. And that's how you would get your flavor. And so you would mop it, right? People, some people mop it as it cooks, people mop right. it more. And so, yeah, you mopping your food. So, yeah, that was one of um, the first thing I learned to cook was smoking chicken. Yeah. And like I said, I put my sauce on too early and it just it just doesn't taste the same. If there's anything I've learned from barbecuing, mm-hmm. you have to let the meat cook. Mm-hmm. Your meat should be so, like my father said, he said, your meat should be so good. You don't need sauce. Mm. Yeah, that's a regional thing, right? Like, depending on where you're from, oh, yeah. isn't there like, uh, is it called like wet barbecue versus dry barbecue or like sauce on the side or something like that? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if you're in North Carolina versus mm -hmm. South Carolina or even Memphis. Um, cause St. I think St. Louis is known for like their dry baby back ribs, mm -hmm. right? You know, and, and somebody please quote me if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. And then Memphis, you may get like a whip, but yeah, it is regional. Yeah. Um, a lot of times based on how folks cook, but down in Texas and how I learned, you yes. let them cook first. And, you know, sometimes you add sauce, sometimes you don't have to, but I, I don't, I add sauce to mine, but I don't add my sauce to like the last 10, 15 minutes. Okay. So like the very end. Oh, the very end. And I smoked my chicken for even two and a half, three hours. Oh mm, my goodness. That probably tastes so I like can smell it right now. Just even thinking. <laughs> Good thing it's like close to lunchtime. Um, yeah, absolutely. I know you mentioned like the difference between like the misconception of like what barbecue really means versus like grilling or like, you know, when we say we're going to a barbecue and all that's getting grilled is like hot dogs and hamburgers like that's not barbecue do you think there's other misconceptions that come up in people's mind when they think of like even just the term southern food or barbecue oh that's a really good question I, I think the misconception comes this idea that the food that is being prepared or being cooked is like not healthy yeah it's like you know you're making fried chicken, grits, and all like, no more bread, like all these things are unhealthy. And it's like, no, this is beyond this idea of just health, right? Because health mm -hmm. is situated in a way that centers whiteness. Like, yes. these are ways of knowing and being that go beyond just eating food. Yep. Uh, and, and so I think that's kind of the misconception, right? This idea that, you know, oh, Southern food, you know, it's just comfort food. And my father always makes the argument, you know, I, he makes this argument that like, hell, how the hell can you call survival food? comfort food right like this is food that we grew up on this right this thing although i do kind of disagree sometimes because this idea that i can't get southern food i don't believe i can really find a good southern food being in tucson okay so i make it at my house and that gives me comfort and that right? gives you comfort yeah yeah it's like it gives me comfort but i mean yeah. you know people have different feelings around it so i think that's one of the misconceptions is that you know yeah. people you know, only a certain group of people enjoy this food. It's like a lot of these this foods were prepared for, you know, predominantly white families back in the day. Everybody mm -hmm. eats fried chicken. Yep. Everybody who eats chicken will eat fried chicken. This isn't like, you know, this isn't like specific to that. You know, how it's prepared is different based sure. on where you're from. But yeah, I think that could be a misconception. I also think that barbecue and, and Dr. Reese, and they talk about this a lot in their book too, is it has become more racialized in how we think about it. Mm -hmm. Like barbecue as it exists today in the United States was cultivated and has brought to like by African-American people. Mm -hmm. But what we'll see, and I'll give an example, like we think about like, I don't know if you ever had Franklin's, heard of Franklin's barbecue in Austin. It's like praised, uh -huh. um, like highly praised place. I think even like Franklin has like a master class on like smoking, like cooking barbecue. Wow. It's like everything that like, you know, this this predominantly white owned barbecue restaurant has was brought to them yes. <laughs> by African-American folks. Yeah. And so barbecues become so racialized, it's become separated. And that's one of the comments they make about like in Memphis, like we think about Memphis, we think about barbecue, mm -hmm. but a lot of the main, you know, well, well, not main, the well-known establishments, the well-supported resource establishments are like owned by like non-Black folks. Right. But the people who cook the food are Black, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so like something that's been cultivated and created in this like cultural ways of knowing it being, mm -hmm. you know, may not, uh, does not financially even support the people who are the ones who are making it. And so... You know, I think that's the other piece. I mean, we know everything's like racialized and political and, sure. and barbecue and Southern food 
you know, or one of those things. I mean, you think about it even in the city. Well, I think it's like also regional though, right? Like I wouldn't necessarily say, like, I don't think I ever seen on the menu in downtown Tucson, like where I can just get like fried chicken or green mm-hmm. and stuff like that, right? Because it may not be considered, you know, culturally, not culturally, but like, you know, like well-cuisine food. Mm-hmm. But you see chicken and waffles being commodified. Yeah. Right, like chicken and waffles being commodified more and more. Totally. It's like, you know. Yeah. Which I also think is regional because I didn't grow up eating chicken and waffles. I, right. I mean, I grew up eating like grit chicken and grits and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't ever remember making waffles. <laughs> so. No, I think that's all a really important point. And I do think that health piece is is a mis- is a great misconception. It's a very strong misconception. And I think it just depends on the lens people are looking at it with. Right. And I think. Yeah, I think that's when it can become problematic. I remember, so High on the Hog, you mentioned earlier, and we'll we'll put all these links in the show notes so folks can find these resources if they want to learn more. And uh, High on the Hog, I've never read the book, but they came out and did a series on it on Netflix recently. I think it was recently. Yeah, it was um, like, a, like about a few weeks ago, actually. Oh, okay. So, um, so I... I'm going to lose my train of thought a little bit, but I feel like the point you made about Franklin's in Austin, it was in Austin, right? Mm -hmm. Is something they talk about in one of the episodes, specifically the barbecue episode around, you know, it's important for, you know, people to, people in the culture, you know, Black people, African-American people to have show the, have their own restaurants and have their own, be the ones cooking the food, the face of the food and like drawing some importance around I don't know the exact word he used, but just centering it, like centering that voice and centering that message is like, we, this is us and this is our kind of Mm -hmm. contribution. And yeah, does that make sense? No, absolutely. No, and and it's true, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is something that we help to cultivate and and create, you know, and it wouldn't be mainstream in the way that it is if it was for African-American folks. I mean, not only African-Americans, like indigenous folks, you know, who like we're making barbecue and cooking over open fires first. Yeah. And so like, yeah, that is very important, like in that distinction. Mm-hmm. I think too, right, you know, it's been, and I know I keep going back to this book, Black Food Matters. And there are, and there are a lot of food geography books. I want people like, you know, I've become more recently obsessed with it. So that's why I'm like <laughs> reading and watch all the things. Cause I also watch How on the Hog and I think it's a good series. Um, and one of the things that they talk about is like, even though people have been like cultivating and cooking this food for so long like you can't even it's hard to get a loan yeah it's hard to get a loan from the bank yeah and then also too like even just the commodification like i i never looked at barbecue as a way of like this something that i needed to sell right and then like we didn't you know i didn't grow up going to barbecue restaurants like we made barbecue home. yeah and, like, and, our, and and then this connection to like the community so right in my hometown we had a family church Right. You know, you grew up Southern, you're Black, you probably grew up Southern Baptist, you know, Methodist, Baptist, he was yeah. in the church. And every Sunday, mm-hmm. we, like when church ended, you didn't like go out to eat, like you <laughs> ate in the back of the church. Right. Because every church had a barbecue pit. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we're eating fried fish or we're yeah. eating barbecue, you know, like these are things that we ate at the church as a community. Yeah. Like Sunday lunch wasn't done at your local restaurant it was done where you were mm-hmm. and so like that's very important and so like you know the pastor may you know give a sermon and then walk right out put on the apron and <laughs> serve a barbecue 
That's you know? awesome. And so like that, those kind of communal pieces are like ways of knowing and being. I even think about that too for someone like my grandmother mm-hmm. who, I mean, essentially she died poor, but like she she grew vegetables in front of like, she lived in like this kind of like duplex trailer home. I'm not explaining, right? Like if you see the street, you're like, she lives by a major street. Mm-hmm. When you walk up to the house, you know, like you see rocks and trees and dogs, but then you see like vegetables. Mm-hmm. Like that was passed down to her. And like, you know, my father grows vegetables. And so like, you know, we didn't, you know, we weren't going to the grocery store, you know, there's not even access to grocery stores. Right. And so we were, it's here, mm-hmm. you know, and those are the kind of things that I grew up on in the South. And how do you think like those memories and gosh, do you call them like lessons or experiences mm-hmm. kind of shape how you, your dinner table looks today, I guess. Oh, that's, that is, oh, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think there was a bit of disconnect at one point. Yeah. Because then I was living in a city and I've been yep. living in cities. So I, I think, you know, that's where there's somewhat of a disconnect in that, in that sense, this idea that like, oh, I could just grab something to eat real quick. Yeah. But it's kind of come full circle. And so I think the way that it shapes is like, we cook with fresh vegetables mm-hmm. in our food. You know, like this is, you know, and we know how to, and we season our food very yeah. well, you know, and I know how to marinate. So I think that's what's kind of shaped those things, like, and really more the labor of love. Yeah. That's kind of what shaped it. So, like, we hosted like a Friendsgiving. Oh, fun. You know, you know, like, you know, we have like a Friendsgiving, and it's like, we're cooking all the things that we grew up on. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm frying fish, we're making collards, we're making black eyed peas. We're making sweet potato pies. We're mm-hmm. making things that, you know, were passed down from, you know, my partner's grandmother to her. Yeah. Meat from my grandmother. It was passed down from their grandmothers mm-hmm. um, and their fathers. And so, like, we're cooking all those things. So yeah, it's like paying. Actually. Oh, sorry. It's like paying respect or paying homage yeah. or celebrating, Absolutely. I guess, who came before us, kind of. Yeah. And that's why I always, like, it's, it's ways of knowing. Like, this isn't just food to be digested it's like this is a way of knowing and being and connecting yeah yeah our story uh I don't know who said it but it was like this our story around food is like a story of who we are and where we came from Mm, Uh, and I thought that was really beautiful I might have to look that up because that's I need to give whoever said that credit (laughs) Um, but you mentioned earlier that you weren't able to find traditional well maybe I don't know if it's traditional Southern food or traditional barbecue. Maybe you can tell me the difference. Oh yeah. No, 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 in no, Tucson, sure. like, is there access to like, if you weren't going to make it at home or if people are out there and they don't know how to make it at home, right. how can students be like, I got to get my hands on some of the things that they're talking about? So I do want to back up. I, let me clarify too. I'm glad you said that. Yes. I mean, and I'm, I probably should probably provide more context. I mean, there are many like, major areas where food are that yes. you can get like southern food here okay so like someone who does make good food and her name is cooking with court okay. and she's actually trying to get a food truck right now but cooking Ooh. with court she makes southern foods on sundays that you can like order and pick up plates awesome. which is also another communal thing like that's yes. how you feel like you could come by and pick up a plate and so yeah so cooking with court she makes good southern food the i mean she makes literally everything also um um ken's barbecue mm-hmm. another like southern black space off the hook fish and they fry their fish the same way i fry my fish so i like it 
Yes, I just those places you can go that like match like your the way your family did it. I think that's really yeah. sometimes that's fun. Yeah, so those are three like African American restaurants. Yeah. And I would say that like more African connected or like diasporic food. Uh-huh. Um, you can get CDs Jamaican, which is probably my favorite restaurant in town. Mm. So CDs Jamaican. Um also there's D's Island Grill, which is also Jamaican food. And then Zamab, which is Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. And so and close to campus. Yeah, it's right yeah. down the street. Yeah, I feel like campus is nicely strategically located around a lot of a lot of good eats, like a lot of like it's access, fairly accessible, I think, via yeah, foot or is. Uber. <laughs> um, I was going to you said something that made me want to ask you something else, though, when we were talking about um, the oh, oh do, what about resources? <clears throat> like no one's necessarily going to be able to mirror the experience around being able to cook some of these traditional foods at home but and you said there's no recipes necessarily that you were given but like are there resources like are there books or cookbooks or blogs that you know of that like help guide like if i if i want to learn how to make some of these dishes or at home yeah actually there's um a book it's a new book we actually just got jubilee oh yes yep jubilee is a good book um yeah yeah, that is so funny. I always ask my father, like, you know, do you have this recipe? So that my great great grandmother has a recipe book, mm. but her son has it, and he's not coming out of it. So, <laughs> and so yeah. But other than that, like that, there were no recipes. Even when I go home now, I'm like, well, how did you make this? And he's yeah, like, I don't know. You just gotta watch me. Yeah, and that's so, so true. And I think that speaks to the importance of getting people in the kitchen and getting kids yes. in the kitchen because my, my Nana were Mexican American and my Nana didn't measure anything. There's no recipes for anything. It's just like, you're in the kitchen and cooking these things. And my mom and, and she passed away, but before she passed away, my mom made a point to sit in the kitchen with her and watch her cook things and write things down. And for some of the like family favorites. And I'm so grateful for some of those things. Like, yes, I don't necessarily have like how much of, you know, X, Y, Z to put in the soup, but I know what goes in there. And so you kind of can figure it out. <laughs> no, that, that's very true. That's like when I learned how to fry food in general, mm-hmm. I remember I was like, you know, well, you know, how do I fry it? And my uncle was like, you know, well, you need two eggs. You got to wash it in some egg. Mm-hmm. And then you got to dump it, you know, in, in your fry, you mix your flour. You always mix your seasoning and your flour together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, how do you know how much? And my father said, whatever it smells like is whatever it's going to taste like. So if it smells good, it'll taste good. If it don't smell good, you haven't put enough of something. That's a really good rule of thumb. Yeah. And so I mix my seasonings with my flour. I dip it in the wash, do that, toss it, and then I dip it in the fryer. Again, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do have one recipe, though, that I, I can share. Ooh. It actually comes from the, um, the book Jubilee, but my partner makes it. And it's, it's a chocolate pound cake. Oh, yum. Let me see. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up real quick. I was like, you know, I gotta be prepared for this. Yeah, she makes a chocolate, but it is so good. It sounds good. Yeah, you you know, we talked about a lot of things. You met that's that's very true. So you said something that's sweet or maybe more traditionally a dessert. Are mm-hmm. there kind of traditional desserts in your family that you remember growing up? Sweet potato pie is my favorite. Mm-hmm. So um my grandmother would make sweet potato pies. And every year, um, my stepmother makes me one just for me. Aww. No one else. That's awesome. 
sweet potato pie, peach cobbler, mm-hmm. which is like one of my father's favorites. So peach cobbler, pound cake, seven upside down cake. Seven? Yeah, like seven up. Oh, okay. Upside down cake with seven up. Uh, Yum. Um, seven upside down cake. Like those are the four that I like really remember. Like oh, and pound cake. And like and oh, and sheet cake. Oh, oh like Texas sheet cake. Yes. Yes. And sheet cake. So yeah, like those are desserts that were always, always made. Is Texas sheet cake traditionally chocolate frosting? The first thing that we had was white. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. But at least that's how I remember it. I mean, that sounds delicious. It all sounds like <laughs> no, yeah, everyone was very like satisfied and celebrated and there was just like so much love happening. I think like food is so much more than like the nutrients it gives our body. It's like, it's culture, it's community. It's just, mm-hmm. it's memories. It's like all, you smell something and it transports you somewhere. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's I why that. I, I love when I go home um, around like the winter time. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm um, one time like my partner she makes chili too, mm-hmm. and that's just such like like a Texas thing too. Like yeah. just like chili. Well, I guess that's not a Texas thing. Everybody eats chili in the winter, but like you know. I think like, it is. A ch- I think it is like yeah, like a thing in the south. Yeah. Yeah, and so like I always this I can just smell the chili when I walk in. I just mm-hmm. know. So. Home, home for the holidays. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. So this chocolate pound cake that you were looking the recipe up, are we, sh- are you sharing that with us or are we? Yeah, no, I, I can share this. Okay. I can share this. Um, so for the pound cake, for the things you need, for the, the recipe calls for softened butter or shortening for the pan, five, five cups of all purpose flour plus the pan, half teaspoon baking powder, pinch of salt, one eight teaspoon ground mace, mm. one cup whole milk, one teaspoon lemon extract, one teaspoon vanilla extract, two sticks butter, half a cup of shortening, three cups sugar, five large eggs, fresh berries are optional. Mm-hmm. But the key is the brandy butter. Ooh, yum. Yeah. And so all you need is one cup of unsalted butter, one cup of powdered sugar, sifted, and a quarter cup of brandy. All right. That does probably make it. I I think the interesting ingredients I hear, like the brandy for sure, but because it like brings out, I'm sure, some of the choc- or that like chocolate flavor, but the mace and the lemon extract, I'm always so impressed by just like the diversity of ingredients that like highlight other ingredients in a recipe it's just very cool I don't know that's not yeah. in a lot of desserts like you don't put those things traditionally in a lot of other things so nope you don't really <laughs> it's also that's something that we always talk about too is like when you make these special recipes you always yeah. like find something you may never use again <laughs> You're like I need one eighth a teaspoon of that <laughs> yeah and it's like what am I going to use this again? So. that's very true Oh, I love that so much. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share with our students on campus today before we kind of do our speed round at the end of the podcast? No, I, I think that's it. I highlighted some of the restaurants in town. Yeah. I named a couple books. And so, yeah. 
yeah, and like I said, I'll link to all those in the show notes so students know where to find them. Um, I guess I, I have one more question that's not related to the end of the podcast questions. Um, at, I know because of COVID, on-campus events have been not as, you know. Right. But is there anything community-wise that the uh, African American Affairs Center does that like kind of talks to food and culture? Yeah, so every fall we host the Taste of the Diaspora. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have it this fall? We're planning to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have different tastes of food from around the city and different um, different types of food. So like this, like I mentioned earlier, like the cities and yep. like we'll have different foods like that. That's cool. And you do it every fall. Is it in a specific month? It's usually right before students go home. Okay. Um, November. So okay. around like October, November, so like mid to late fall. Okay. Well, you have to let us know. So this is being recorded in June, but it'll come out in September. So if it's happening, we can kind of promote it and oh, perfect. Do yeah. all that good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that's a that's a great resource for students too. All right. The last item is just so students. We've learned so much about you today as a person, and thank you for sharing like your family history with us and just your history with food and culture, but can we maybe do three rapid questions that are just okay. quick and kind of fun for us to learn about you? All right, let's do All it. All right, let's do it. If you could only eat three foods ever again, what would they be? Three foods ever again. Well, one, my grandmother's sweet potato pie. Mm -hmm. Two, um, my father's fried ribs. Fried ribs? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my father's fried ribs. And three, eh, three hot wings. I love hot wings. Hot wings are so good. I have a question about the fried ribs. Sorry. Do you have to, do you, do you smoke them first and then fry them? Or do you fry them straight from, from uncooked? That's the one recipe he's never showed me. Ooh. I <laughs> you know, actually, this is a sign up too. You actually can get fried ribs in town. Okay. From Chef Wang. So Chef, Chef Wang has a, gar a garlic rib. Uh-huh. And it's deep fried. Okay. And it's actually really, really good. Sounds good. All right. But yeah, that's the one recipe I've never seen him make. Well, if he, he listens to this, you tell him. This is like one of the last, th this is like the three foods I could ever eat again. It would be this. So I might need to learn how to make these. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I definitely do. Uh, uh, if you had to choose breakfast or dinner? Dinner. Dinner. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? My grandmother. Um, I would love to have dinner with her again. Uh, well, now that I like watch it too, like I want to have dinner with Jessica, Dr. Jessica Harris. So she's mm -hmm. traveled all around the world. Has done like different food stuff. Mm -hmm. That would be great. And who's another person I would like to have like a meal with? Well, actually, I mean, Dr. Dr. Santi Reese. I mean, I've been like in love with her work recently. Yeah. And I just want, I would just like to sit down and eat whatever. That yeah. She would so, yeah. Would you cook for all of these folks or would you? I would be so nervous to cook. <laughs> I don't know if I could, honestly. 
Maybe it would be things you could do together. Like it would be this like collaboration in the kitchen, like uh, everyone I mean, bring their own chops. <laughs> or especially being an adult now as a kid, sometimes you get kicked out the kitchen. So I, that'd be great. If I, if I was let in, that would be amazing. <laughs> That's very true. You do get kicked out of the kitchen or you get very like specific jobs as a kid of things like yeah. you. Well, did you have a job? Did you have like a very specific job as a kid? Like, I feel like they give kids things that they know can't mess up a recipe. <laughs> And I still mess it up. One time, I was my job was literally to put rice in a pot. Uh-huh. I missed the entire stove. Oh no! <laughs> and I poured rice all over the ground. So yeah, I had stuff like that. I poured rice, boil water, or sometimes with chopped wood. Okay. Yep. They gotta give the jobs. They gotta give the jobs to the kiddos that they <laughs> keep them busy. <laughs> yep, and after way. Yep. Well, I've. I've enjoyed this conversation so much today and I could talk to you for like another hour. So I really appreciate you giving us your time and your your expertise and your, your, you know, a window into, into your, your family. So that's really beautiful. And we feel very lucky to have gotten that today. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for the invite as well. I really appreciate it. This is great. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Please share with your friends and connect with us on all our campus health social channels. You can also email us at chs-nutritionnavigators at email.arizona.edu to submit your questions and comments about the show. Please also feel free to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. So it makes people it makes it easier for people to find us. We're so excited to be bringing this content to you. The Food and Culture series has been such a fun way to connect with different individuals and really learn. We're a program in Campus Health, specifically in health promotion and preventive services. And we really wanna thank Joshua Hamilton from the African-American Student Affairs for coming on the show and taking time with us to talk about his experience with food growing up and in his culture. We appreciate you so much, Joshua, and the time you give to our UA community and the students here on campus. The Food and Culture Series is in partnership with the Diversity and Inclusion Committee here at Campus Health, where we aim to learn and grow as individuals and celebrate our differences and the way we are the same. Next up, we are wrapping up this edition of our Food and Culture Series. We really hope this is something we can continue to do. And our last episode, we will be rounding out the series with a discussion about Latinx Uh, cultural foods and uh, Dominique Galza is on the podcast next time from the Guerrero Student Center talking with us about food and how that's shaped her relationship with food and throughout the culture and what that can bring and uh, it's such a great conversation and we're really excited to share it with all of you so please yeah reach out if you have any other questions and thanks for being here until next time be well Wildcats